Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out Single Grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have Tom Salonik who runs Intertech which is a Minnesota-based technology and consulting firm. Um, He's also been named as one of Minnesota's top business leaders under 40 and has twice been named to Inc. 500's list of fastest growing companies. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for being on the show. So I guess why don't we kick things off by uh, talking about your background first and uh, we'll continue the conversation. Sure, sure. I uh, got an undergraduate degree in computer science and my first and only job outside of Intertech was at a large tech firm in the Twin Cities. And thanks to a really bad manager, I decided to uh, to do my own thing. And uh, that was 23 years ago. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So let's. Let, I guess why don't we talk a little bit about uh, Intertech as a company, and then uh, you know go from there. You bet. Well, Intertech does two things. We teach companies how to make software, and we also make software primarily for state government. Okay. Cool. And are you, you know, in terms of, I mean, Intertech? I mean, how long has that been around for? Uh, twenty-three years. Twenty-three. Okay. Wow. So you've been you you stuck with it for a while. So you know, typically. One thing that really sticks out to me right now, you know, the, the tech entrepreneurs that watch this show, you know, typically software as a service, you know, guys, you know, it's like a seven year cycle. So, you know, 23 years sounds like it's, it's been quite a while. So is there, can you talk about that journey a little bit? You bet. You bet. Uh, well, I first started out at the back of my house and there were three of us working with the firm when I made my decision to leave the house and get our first real business location. And I would say for the first maybe half a dozen or so years, it was much like uh, a couple of accountants who go do their own thing. And I really wasn't focused on growing a business. And that changed when I hired a couple of uh, people, one on the sales side who really had a growth-minded approach, another person on the technical side who took over that part of the job so I could focus on leading the business. Got it. Okay. Perfect. So, you know, in, in terms of uh, in, in terms of revenue and customers today, can you talk to us a little bit about that? You bet. This year we'll do $15 million in sales. And on the consulting side of the firm, we work actively with a couple dozen clients at a time. On the training side of the firm, uh, we work with hundreds of clients over the course of a year. Okay. And, you know, so you have, you have the consulting side and then you have the training side. I mean, you know, what are the, you know, it sounds like two totally different businesses. So are you running both of them or do you have like another general manager? I, I mean, just, I'm wondering how that process works. You bet. Uh, there's a, uh, one of my partners 
runs the consulting side of the business, another partner runs the trading side of the business. And while they're separate, they are related. You know, doing both allows us on the consulting side to have our consultants always spun up to speed in the latest technologies. On the training side, doing both makes us that we're focused on the practical application of technology. We're not just talking about theory. We're talking about stuff that we actually do with our customers. Okay. And did the business start out that way with the, these two branches, or did you eventually decide to add on one, another one? Yeah, that's a good question, Eric. That's, a, that's very common that people ask me that. And they were started pretty much when I left my job. I started doing both immediately. I started okay. uh, offering training and then building software for customers. Okay. So, you know, you, you, 23 years ago, you go off on your own. You decide to start this business. I mean, you know, walk us through how you got your first 100 customers. <laughs> well, there's a lot of, uh, lot of phone calls where I got hung up on. So cold calling back in the day, that was a way to, to cultivate business. And today it's a lot more about being found organically and, and paid search. But uh, I literally got a phone book, opened it up to people I thought could be my customers and started calling them. And I also did uh, direct mail as well as I would speak at events where I would talk about a mix of business and technology in hopes that people would think I was legitimate. Okay. You know, that, that's interesting. You know, people don't talk too much about speaking and, you know, not, not direct mail either. So let's talk about the speaking part a little bit. Um, you know, do, do you have any rough idea of, of, you know, would you go into a speaking event saying, you know, I want to, you know, at least get one or two leads out of it? You know, do you have any conversion rate data that you can share with the audience? Sure, sure. You know, I think it's um, it's a lot like uh, social, maybe social media that if you just show up and throw up and you're just really pushing yourself, you're not going to have people really want to reach out to you. Mm -hmm. And so uh, whether it's today in the social media world or back then when I was doing technical presentations, it was all about having great content and then using that content to get people to trust you and start to build a relationship to the point where they have a need and they realize that we're a legitimate group that knows what we're doing and then they reach out to us. Got it. So what's one example of a presentation you did maybe 20, 23 years ago? <laughs> you know, back in, uh, back in those days, Windows was just coming around. And so for software development houses that were looking to start creating Windows applications, I would do high-level talks about the Microsoft suite of development tools and how to use those to make uh, Windows OS applications. Okay, and you know, you just mentioned I kind of latched onto the word high level. So you know, at what you know, do you have any tactics for deciding you know how much how much in detail you should go into a particular talk, like you know, anything like that? Where I guess when you're going to speak, do you have any tactics to prepare ahead of time? Sure, sure. And then I think it's all about knowing your audience, and so. If I would be speaking at an event, whether it be business people, I know that they would just care about, you know, don't tell me about the features. Tell me about the benefits of why I want to do this. Mm -hmm. If I was talking to technical people, you know, there I would need to go deeper because that's where their minds are at. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that, that's when, when anyone goes to speak, I think that's the number one thing you got to know. You got to know your audience um, and that, that that's perfect. Um, in, in terms of... You know, you talked about direct mail a little bit. Do you guys still do that today? We do not. We do not. We do have uh, two different newsletters mm -hmm. that go out every other week. Mm -hmm. And that's our primary way of uh, talking about promotions or upcoming presentations or pushing people to 
to our blog as well as we're active on all the social media channels. Got it. Okay. And you know, when did you start see direct mailing? I, you know, I, I know some people still do direct mail today. I, for you guys, when did it stop? You know, quote unquote, working. Uh, I would say uh, around the dot com boom and bust. So around uh, early two thousand, two thousand one, somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. I guess it all depends on the niche because you look at some health companies that are doing sixty million a year. They're still doing direct mail type stuff. So I guess it depends on the niche, right? I think you're right, Aaron. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your book. I mean, you know, building a winning business. You know, what's that all about? Sure. Well, I started to create a document that really outlined how we do stuff here at Intertech, and it was meant primarily for new employees when they would onboard. We could give it to them and say, "This is the game plan that we run the company by." And when I got into it, I realized a couple things. One, it's a lot of work. And two, the stuff that I was talking about, it applied to organizations beyond just how we do stuff at Intertech. The, the stuff I talked about, like having a rhythm through a daily huddle and how to do effective strategic planning and how to communicate good news, all these things um, would work for leaders and managers outside of, of Intertech. And then I flipped the bit and decided to make a book out of it. Okay. And so creating a book like that, I mean, you know, anytime you create like a, a long, it sounds, it sounds like a very uh, extended process. So how long did it take you to produce that book? Uh, you know, it probably took about a year and a half. Uh, I took a couple different paths and didn't really like the way it was going. So I rewound. And as you'll know, the book in its form it is in today is all about practical takeaways that leaders can can implement in their own organizations. And I'm currently working on a second edition of that book. Okay, got it. And where can, I'm assuming, you know, people can buy this book on Amazon, right? They can, they can. It's available, um, printed on Amazon, Kindle, as well as the Nook. Okay, cool. And when, you know, growing your business, I mean, it's, it's been quite a while. So can you talk about one big struggle you faced while growing the business? You bet, you bet. Uh, this is probably about a half a dozen to eight years into starting the firm. And I had at that time about eight consultants and six of us, because I was actively working on the technical side of the business, were working on one account. And that account, was, that company was acquired and the new CIO called a meeting. And she said, you know, I, I looked around and I couldn't find a contract. And I said, yeah, we've, I mean, we've been working on a handshake for quite a while now. And she said, this was Friday at about three. She said, well, you're done today. Wow. And so the following Monday, for the eight of us that actually did billable work, six of us didn't have a job. And so I called one of my partners. And over the weekend, we did that green light thinking, like, in what ways can we get our people billable? You know, who do we know? Who can we reach out to even over the weekend to line up work for our consultants? And I think it was within about a month we had the bench cleared and everybody was working again. But I learned a valuable lesson about diversity in accounts. Today we have no account that is more than 10% of our business. And uh, it just helps me sleep better at night knowing that that won't happen again. Okay, great. No, that's that's a great story. I mean, when... That actually brings up, I mean, an interesting question. So you, you started the business and you had consultants in the beginning. So, you know, 
did you try trying to strictly focus on you know having uh, you know more contractors instead of employees? I, I guess at one point did you switch over to you know just bringing on full time full time employees? Uh, our model from the start was full time employees, not contractors okay. working under our umbrella. Okay. Now fast forward to today, especially when we have a tight labor market like we do, mm-hmm. there seems to be kind of a pendulum that when the labor market's tight people that are kind of on the fence of being independent contractors become independent contractors. And then we hit a recession. People want a job with benefits and a steady paycheck. Mm-hmm. So today our model is blended. Uh, okay. The bulk of our technical staff are W-2 benefit employees, mm-hmm. but we do have independent contractors that work with us. Um, in, some, in some cases, it might be that it's work that's on the coast and we don't, we don't have people that want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so we'll find somebody who can do work in D.C. or in L.A., Okay, and what's the percentage breakdown there between uh, you know full time and contractors for you guys? Uh, for full time employees in the fifties, and then probably about twenty some contractors. Twenty something contractors, got it. Okay, and you know, I mean, it's it's been you know it's it's been a while. I typically only ask for one big struggle, but since you've had the business for twenty three years, can you tell us about another big struggle you faced while growing the business? <laughs> uh, sure, and I, I think that you know struggles or or hiccups without being too Pollyanna, they really do force us to make, um, you know, to, to turn a lemon into lemonade. After I had uh, moved out of the house, we had our first real business location. We were there for a year or two and we moved into new space that was nice and a lot more expensive. And we were there for about two weeks when my then business partner came in my office and said, I just don't want to do this anymore. And so you know, I made this big, commitment. And uh, what ended up happening was around that same time, a former student that I had reached out to me and said that he was looking for looking for a job. And so he asked me of places that he could work in Twin Cities. And I gave him a laundry list. And it was that night that I was talking with my wife. And she said, well, did you mention that maybe he could work for you? And I said, well, I'm not really sure that I, ha- I have the work. And she went on to tell me that there never was a time that I wasn't working overtime, so why not make the commitment to start you know, growing the organization through hiring folks as well as reaching out to this person? And uh, he just brought a great energy to the firm along with the other partner that I mentioned that uh, had a growth-minded approach to sales, and that's when the firm really took off. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned the, the Twin Cities. You know, uh, it, seems, it seems like you've been there for, for a while, too. I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about building a business in Silicon Valley or like some, some, big, uh, some big city. So, you know, can you talk about – and I know a few companies that, that are in the Twin Cities. So what, what, are, the, what are the perks, I guess, of, of, you know, building a business in the Twin Cities? Well, I think we got the, uh, the Midwestern work ethic, you know, that the uh, people that are here that commit to do something, they're going to follow through, in fact – one of our three values as a company is commitment, and we define that by saying we're going to demand more of ourselves than other people could ask, uh, as well as um, I think when you create a great home in this market, people tend to stay. And so we've been a 10-time winner of the best places to work by the Business Journal. Wow. Uh, this year, we're named the number one place to work for uh, as a mid-sized company, as well as the number one place to work for a 50 to 150 employee company by the largest newspaper in the cities, that when you create a great culture, a great working environment in this part of the country, you know, you have a great retention. Yeah, that's that's certainly nothing to scoff at. I mean, you know, 10 time, 10 time being one of the best places to work. I mean, that's, 
you know, what are some things you guys do to create this great culture? Because everyone talks about great culture, but it seems like it's, it's a lot of people just get it wrong. So what are some unique things you guys do? Sure. Well, I'd say it starts in the front end with hiring. You know, we're very, very uh, picky about who we hire. We hire about one out of every 20 applicants that apply for a job here. And we look, you know, throughout the process, we're looking for people who, one, have great technical skills, but as much, we're looking for people that share our values, and those are attitude, commitment, and excellence. And then within the organization, we've done things to create accountability and transparency. For example, every month we have an all-company meeting where we do an around-the-horn recap of what's going on in the firm, and we finish with sharing our financial information. Another thing that we do is we have uh, the Dale Carnegie approach to management, which is key result areas. So everybody has three to five goals that are very specific, measurable, achievable, results-oriented, and time-focused. Mm-hmm. So the definition of performance is very, very clear. And then another thing that we do is we celebrate a lot. So these uh, wins that we have for being a blessed place to work, we celebrate that. Employee anniversaries, we celebrate that. Birthdays, we celebrate that. Client successes, we celebrate that. That you're Creating a culture where people feel good about coming to work, celebrating has got to be part of it, in my opinion. Okay. Can you give us some examples of, of you know these these celebrations that you're talking about? Sure, sure. Uh, the first Friday of every month, we have a, a barbecue, and in there we'll have a big banner of things that have been accomplished over the past month. Or when a person has an anniversary, let's say their five-year anniversary, we have their spouse and family come in. We get flowers for the spouse. We get toys for the kids. We have... Uh, a full spread for dinner for the whole company, and then we'll segue to our all-company meeting. Okay, that's it, that's interesting. You know, I've never heard of a. I, I think it, I think it's it's maybe it's a, it's a cultural booster to to be celebrating these things. And I, I think a lot of people or a lot of companies tend to just try to save money and you know use those expenses for other stuff. But uh, I, clearly, it has its merits here. So, uh, congrats to you on that. Um, Thank you. You know what? In terms of you know, you talk about building a specific learning goal into, you know, each employee's performance plan. You know, how does that work exactly? Can you explain that? Sure, sure. So at the start of every year, for everybody in the organization, including me, we define either learning that will be done where someone will attend one of our own classes here, or maybe for myself, uh, I'm going to go to executive education at the London School of Business this coming March. Or for a technical developer, it might be that they're going to go to a class and then take an assessment for a certification. So we'll look at, you know, where things that we need to improve or grow as an individual and then back that up with training and or certification. Okay. Is there a certain, you know, amount that you budget for each employee? Uh, That varies. Obviously for training where an employee is coming to a class that we have, Mm -hmm. it's just books and how many donuts eat that week but for other people i would say it's probably two to five thousand a year is what we're spending okay. per person okay got it so is there i mean and i'm just trying to wrap my head around this more if i'm a new if i'm a new employee am i eligible to do that two to five thousand dollar training or do i need to be a little more senior uh well we do look for new employees we look at their background and say if you look across the classes that we offer that are in the area where you have your skill set mm-hmm. If you come in and you're that senior and that none of our classes would work for you, then we look at, at outside learning. So, yeah, 
if, if that was the case for an employee that just joined us, mm -hmm. they would be eligible. But most employees, because we offer pretty deep classes on iOS development, Android development, Java and .NET, when they look at the classes that, that we offer, they'll say, you know, I need to learn more about MVC, and we've got an MVC class. Okay. And how do you, you know, how do you keep them accountable? I mean, you, don't, you know, you shell out $5,000 and you say, you know, here's the course and they take it and like, yeah, I know iOS now. But how do you hold them accountable to it, especially, you know, considering you have 50, 50 full-time employees? Um, sure. Certification is usually part of it. So we'll say that if somebody wants to go to outside training, that mm -hmm. certification needs to be something that they're going to do once they complete mm -hmm. the class. That's one way of creating accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll also ask the employee if they're going, let's say, to a conference, when they come back to do a debrief of what they learned with their fellow consultants after attending that conference. Okay, got it. And what if, you know, let's say this is, it's a new employee, you know, they've made it past, you know, the, the they've beaten those, you know, 20 other or 19 other applicants and they fail the certification or, you know, they don't really show you anything meaningful from the conference. I mean, what happens there? Well, I think um, we have a board member who's who likes to say, you know, seek first to to understand before you're understood, and we'd ask lots of questions. You know, did you never leave your hotel room, or what? You know, what, what happened? <laughs> you you came back, and it was a it was a bust. Yeah. It usually is, is not the case. And when it comes to like, let's say, a uh, certification exam, we pay for the materials, we pay for the test, whether they pass or fail. Mm -hmm. And I think employees knowing that we're not going to hold them up and tell the whole company that 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 they didn't pass the exam. Mm -hmm. uh, that combined with us just saying, give it your best shot, and if it doesn't go the first time, we still got your back. Okay, that's great. Um, so wrapping it up here, you know, a few more questions from my side. I mean, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? <laughs> uh, you know, I was too careful with my money, and so uh, I would have told my 25-year-old self, get out of the house a lot sooner than what you did. Um, my wife, God bless her, we, there were three of us, as I mentioned, in a 800 square foot house, and it was typical that we would work six days a week. So she'd wake up on Saturday morning, look in one bedroom and see me working, look in the other bedroom and see another person working, and look at the couch in the living room and see the person working there. That It, it didn't create much work-life balance. I would have told myself, spend the extra money and move out of the house. Okay, it you know that that's another interesting point there. I mean, you your wife seems like she's a very very supportive person, very understanding. So I think key takeaway to the audience: you got to find someone that also understands what you do, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Okay, what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? So you know, for me, just to give you an example, it could be you know putting my phone away. You know, where when the alarm goes off in the morning, I need to actually get up to physically turn it off. So anything you can share on that front. Uh, you know, I, I do think that you know dedicated time with the phone on do not disturb, email notification turned off, that when I have a task that's important, I'll shut my door mm -hmm. and do those things so I can really hone my mind in and not be interrupted by the cell phone or someone knocking on my door. Okay, that's perfect. Do you turn all your, your phone notifications off, just all push notifications off? When I'm holed up to get... Serious work done, you bet. Okay, got it. 
Uh, final question from my side. Uh, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? Well, this one's easy, Eric. I'd, I'd have to say my own book, Building a Winning Business. Uh, another book that I like a lot is called uh, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Bern Harnish. Mm-hmm. That's a good takeaway. Take, takeaways, and I would say my, my book, a lot of practical things that people can use. Yeah, no, I think your book, from what it, from the sound of it, it sounds like I need to buy your book right after this call. Um, yeah, but Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, it's one of the best business books I've ever read too. So um, yeah, great recommendation. But um, everyone, this is Tom Salonek. Um, definitely want to have you on the show again sometime soon. But yeah, thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Eric. All, All right, right. Bye. Take care. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out Single Grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.